Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every secret identity, guy in the chair, government agency blunder, and implosion of continuity is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Mandy. And I'm Michael. And today we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming, not to be confused with the five other Spider-Man movies that already exist. Uh, Mandy, have you seen all of the other movies? Yes, I have. In theaters. All of them. The only one I haven't seen is the most recent, uh, the, what is it, Amazing Spider-Man 2? Yes. I, I, I never saw that, mostly because people, I mean, I guess I liked the first one fine, and then I just never got around to the second one, and then nobody told me I needed to go see it. So, yeah, uh, maybe one day, just for completion's sake, because, you know, nerds, and that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said about Spider-Man where we talk about to open all the mini Spider-Mans. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans came out when we were in high school. Yes. Uh, the uh, the newer ones came out post-college. Yep. Uh, and then now we have the newest new one uh, after Marvel and Sony had their uh, come to Jesus meeting, uh, where Marvel gets to basically write the stories and Sony gets the money is my understanding. Uh, I think Sony still got quite a bit of control. I feel like, and we'll talk about this more when we're talking about the movie itself, but while it was definitely connected to the Marvel universe and you can tell that Marvel must have been like, Hey, these are things you really need to stick with. I feel like if this was a purely Marvel movie, it would have stuck to the continuity of the main movies a little bit better than it did. I don't um, agree with that. I think Marvel has thrown their continuity out the window. Okay. All right. Well, we'll talk about that <laughs> when we get to it then. Um, we'll focus on the movie first, and then we'll talk about this and implications for the future of Marvel, because I feel yeah. like that's a big follow-up discussion. Um, I will say something that when comparing all six of these movies, uh, something the first Spider-Man movies have had that none of the rest have been able to compare to is the soundtrack. Uh, yeah, I just this movie's soundtrack was meh. That's now that's true of Marvel in general. Like the Marvel film universe has not had really notable soundtracks. Right? Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I have opinions about Marvel soundtracks. I think Marvel's problem is they're not creating themes. Yeah. Uh, so Captain America: The First Avenger had a great soundtrack. Thor One had a great soundtrack, but then they came back with Cap Two. Actually, Cap Two called back to cap one but they came back with thor 2 and decided to give thor an entirely new theme like that's not how it should be it should be like star wars where each character has a distinct theme so when we think of that character we think of that song so it's not that the soundtracks are individually bad uh it's that there's nothing holding them together and so it it doesn't stick in our minds i mean there's a difference between saying they're bad and saying they just don't have particularly good ones like, I, I can't I, tell you. I really love anything. Thor 1 soundtrack. I think if you listen to the Thor theme in Thor 1, it is amazing and it's beautiful and it just makes me think of Asgard and Thor. Okay, well, as someone who's not in love with Thor, hey, uh, no. <laughs> uh, I mostly I find, except for Guardians of the Galaxy, the entire MCU, like, I don't think, I'm sure if you played some of the music, it would, I would be able to tell you what movie it was from, but none of the themes are in my head at all. I mean, I think Captain America had a great theme, and they just didn't keep bringing it back. Uh, but his theme, like, screams Captain America in the first Avenger, and then they, they have it just in the beginning of Cap 2. Uh, and then it, it's nowhere to be found in Civil War, which uh, is nonsensical to me. I mean, to me, that's one of the things that, I mean, people on this sh- uh, who listen to the show know that I do not think very highly of the DC film universe right now. But I will say they've actually still been doing a pretty decent job. Like, I can tell you, like... 
in my head, I haven't watched Superman, uh, whatever the name of the movie was, Man of Steel. I haven't watched that since it was in the theater. That theme is still in my head. I have no idea what the theme in that movie is. Well, part of it is it's still reminiscent of previous Superman themes, too. Uh, But but it's like the fact that they did that is, you know, was smart. Uh, Wonder Wonder Woman's theme is, you know. And and DC has been doing it right by referencing the themes in each movie, um, which which is what you should do. So uh, Spider-Man, the original trilogy, also did that, right? There was a Spider-Man theme that was present in every movie, and it was just very evocative. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like when we went to that Dragon Con concert, right? And they, they played different nerdy themes. And even though it had been over 10 years since the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out, they played that theme and everyone knew what it was. Yeah. Uh, and on that note too, the, the pop music they throw in as well, like Spider-Man two really sticks out in my head as one of the first movies where I walked out and knew I needed to buy the sound, like the pop soundtrack. Um, I mean, you know, high school, I was into emo alternative rock and stuff. And that was a great emo alternative rock soundtrack. (laughs) Like, uh, it was really good. I still listen to songs from that. Uh, you know, and how long has it been? It's 2017 now. What year was Spider-Man two? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was like 2003, maybe something like that. I don't know. 2004, but it was a long time ago. Um, and I, I just, yeah, that's not a thing I've been getting from this universe. It's not a thing I got from this movie, even though I really like this movie a lot. Uh, Spider-Man 2 was the summer between high school and college for me. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, Spider-Man 3 was sophomore year for me in college. So that would have been like junior. So, uh, yeah, um, that said, this is the first Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man actually feels like a high schooler. Yeah, I mean, Tom Holland's only a little bit older than a high schooler would be, although he's drastically older than a freshman would be. But, you know, at least he's not like... I mean, how old was Tobey Maguire when they shot when the first movie came out? I feel like he was probably 25. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, though. Uh, uh, I, well, let's see. It was 2002... Toby Maguire, um, I'm trying to think how, see if I can he find out. He was born how in 1975, according to Google. I don't just know that. Yeah. <laughs> so he was 27. Um, and Tom Holland is how old right now? Uh, Tom Holland. He was born in 96, so he's 21. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's 21 years old versus 27 years old is a pretty huge difference, I'd say. Right. I, I think so, too. I think a guy at 20 and a guy at 30 look vi- visibly different, right? Right. So, which is to say none of them look like a guy at 14, but <laughs> right. uh, Tom Holland is more believably 14 than any Spider-Man before us has ever been. Um, he He's also, uh, Tobey Maguire, I feel like did a good job with Spider-Man was awkward. Uh, yeah. And I feel like, uh, and I forgot his name, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was not... Peter? His, his Peter Parker was bad. His Spider-Man yeah. was decent. His Peter Parker was bad. Like, suddenly Peter Parker was a hipster. Uh, that it was less like he wasn't cool enough for everybody and more like he was too cool for everybody. Yes. Uh, which just struck me as weird. So uh, I actually really like Tobey Maguire's portrayal of an adult Spider-Man. Um you know, the the Spider-Man who's fresh out of high school trying to make it in, you know, uh, the, da- the not the Daily Planet. <laughs> the Daily Bugle. The Daily Bugle, uh, you know, that kind of like uh, 20s uh, guy who's trying to, to make it in the world, but not a very good high school. Uh, and then Andrew Garfield was just like, I don't even know what he was doing with Peter Parker. 
which is probably not his fault. It was probably the director. I don't want to blame it on the actor. Uh, so this is a really interesting thing, actually. Um, I'm not the first person to make this point, but I don't see it talked about much. How weird is it that every single film Spider-Man we've had has been a high schooler at the start? Because that's not Spider-Man's identity in the comics, except for in the Ultimate Universe, right? Like, right. Like, normally, he is a kid who's trying to make money, like... Like, he's basically a college kid, right? Who's, like, trying to get by, taking college classes, trying to get by in terms of, like, you know, doing this photography thing to to pay his way and stuff like that. But, like, as far as I remember, like, most of my exposure to Spider-Man pre um, the movies and then Ultimate Spider-Man later, which I read because of you, like, was not as a high schooler. And it's just so weird that that's probably the most common image people have in their heads now because of all these movies. I don't think it's just the movies. I think there's been a lot of Spider-Man TV shows, um, and those go back and forth on whether Spider-Man's a kid or a young adult. Um, And I I think there's a lot of people who started with Spider-Man at the beginning that that's just because we've become so enamored with this idea that everything has to be an origin story, right? Like Spider-Man's origin is in high school, uh, but he doesn't stay there very long in comics. Spider-Man's been an adult in the comics since like, what, 1980? (laughs) Right. So, uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting. Uh, but it's nice that if we're going to have a high school Peter Parker, he actually feels like a high school Peter Parker. But I just want to, I feel like a lot of people poo poo sometimes on the Tobey Maguire Spider Man movies. But I feel like if you're trying to do Spider Man as a young adult, Tobey Maguire did a great job with that. Now, we yeah, can argue about how Spider Man 3 failed us as a society, but. Uh, Spider Man 3 is a bad movie. People should watch the first two if they haven't and just skip yes. three. I feel like Spider-Man 3 somehow tainted the whole trilogy, which to me is mind-boggling because uh, we have other movies that have bad third movies that we still like the first two. So I mean, I think it goes the, the same way with the X-Men trilogy, right? Like, yeah. uh, I think that it's important to put context, too. The original X-Men movie and the original Spider-Man movie, like, together, they basically built modern comic book movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those two movies were, like, the one-two punches. Like, hey, this is a thing that people can take seriously for the first time since, you know really the first two Batman movies was the last time people really took Batman, uh, like a comic book movie kind of seriously. And these were another level beyond that, I feel like. I mean, these paved the way for the Nolan Batman trilogy. We wouldn't have dark, gritty Batman without first having a serious X-Men and a serious Spider-Man. I mean, right. not that they weren't funny. They, did, they had funny moments, but these weren't kids' movies, right? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I mean... To me, I, I've talked about this before. My little sister only watches superhero movies that came out when we were in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so to her, Tobey Maguire is Spider-Man, uh, and she won't even entertain any other uh, uh, thought. And, and so I, I just feel like there's been, a, especially when the Andrew Garfield ones came out, people were like, oh, Tobey Maguire was such a terrible Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not really true. Uh, no, he was I, terrible in the third one, and that was probably directing and writing. I think, yeah, it was totally directing and writing. Tobey Maguire acted the heck out of it as much as he could, but there's only so much you can act out of emo Spider-Man. When you're told to go and do, like, a really weird catwalk in the, with this, like, emo <laughs> dance scene, I mean, he probably, I, I would not be surprised if he completely nailed exactly what he was directed to do. It just was a terrible thing that he was directed to do. <laughs> and, and, you know, to this day, I, I just, to say something about Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 2's opening credits are probably the best, like, reminder of everything that happened in the last movie without hitting you over the head with it and doing it to fantastic 
music. Like I can still see that art and like the hear the music in my mind. And it's almost to the point where I'm like, we didn't even need Spider-Man one. Like that's all you needed. You didn't need an origin story. You could have had the opening credits of Spider-Man two, which isn't to say Spider-Man one's a bad movie. It's just Spider-Man two is a better movie. Um, So I I just love those opening credits and they did such a great job. uh, And uh, they, they paved the way for everything else. Uh, So uh, we're going to have a lot of good things to say about Spider-Man Homecoming today. And I just wanted yes. to start it with making sure we said good things about the other Spider-Mans as well. Um, so that, yeah. I would even say that Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3 together demonstrate a lesson that really I wish more comic book people realized they should have taken from them. Because like Spider-Man 2 did such a good job, like a really good job of ha- of having multiple villains, right? And using right. them well. And Spider-Man 3 did an atrocious job of that. And it's like, guys, you have a model with how to do it well and how to do it poorly. And for some reason, people keep messing it up, you know? And it's like, I it's I feel like it's not that difficult to do well when you have the model of how it's done well before you, you know? I, I will just say that, like, the, the, the in that first Spider-Man trilogy, for all that, you know, Spider-Man 3 is not good, uh, Spider-Man 3, to me, when Harry comes back in Spider-Man 3, like, the first two movies did all of the work to earn the emotion for that, where I was just right. like, it almost didn't matter what happened. I was just so happy to see Harry come back and be on Spider-Man's side and forgive him. I literally wept when that happened in the movie theater. And it didn't matter that everything else in Spider-Man 3 was a, a freaking disaster. <laughs> yeah. Because I had two other movies that were so great that had built on this relationship, and I, I needed that closure. Uh, so... Uh, it, it takes a lot, I feel like, for, for movies, like, everything else is crap, and it still earns this one emotional beat. Uh, yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, and, and Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, um, it's not that they were bad. I think they were just forgettable. Like, I can't yes. tell you anything about the first one. I, I watched it, I forgot it, which is why I never felt driven to watch the second one. The only thing I remember from it is the lizard Spider-Man fight with Stan Lee in the front singing and doing his library stuff while they're like fighting in the back yeah but that was funny Stan Lee. <laughs> um so i yeah i it felt like a movie where you know that was born out of contractual contractual obligation because it was and it's like hey we need to turn out a movie let's make a you know paint by numbers spider-man movie right and it's like okay it's fine like it, it's not it really the first one at least was not bad it just wasn't notable you know and, and I will say this for Spider-Man 2, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, is I wasn't one of those people who didn't want Gwen Stacy to die. I was actually the opposite. I was like, I feel like this is a very important story and not something we've often seen in movies where right. we, uh, minus, uh, I guess, uh, The Dark Knight, uh, but Spider-Man is a lot lighter a movie than The Dark Knight. So being able to have a story where you talk about you're not able to save everybody and a movie that's more aimed at, I would say, you know, younger teens, uh, I think is a very important story to tell. And, and I do think it's important that sometimes in some stories, Gwen Stacy dies. Uh, but the problem is the movie just over the head beat you with this mm. was coming <laughs> like from, and I know you haven't seen it, but like from the opening scene, uh, you pretty much want to pull Gwen Stacy aside and be like, honey, are you okay? Like, why are you foreshadowing your death so much? Like, do, do we need to go talk to somebody? <laughs> Like, uh, it it was just one of those things where I'm like, I feel like it would have been better if everything had been fine and there had been no foreshadowing and then she just died and then dealing with that, right? Um, So, uh, you know, I I do think sometimes characters, uh, we need to experience certain pains safely through fiction. Uh, 
And uh, I, I feel like Spider-Man had an opportunity to do that in a lot less angsty, dark way than the Dark Knight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just feel like it didn't quite... Uh, I did not cry when Gwen Stacy died in that movie. <laughs> so they didn't quite connect it. Uh, and you guys know I'm a crier. So I definitely am. I have not seen it, but I, I don't know. I, I From the way people have talked about it, I already knew Gwen died in it and stuff. And it's just like, uh, okay. I mean, just somebody dying isn't necessarily going to make me feel emotional. It's like you have to actually earn it. And Right. Which uh, they, that's my thing. They yeah. didn't earn it. Um, so before we actually get to started, started talking about this new movie, I feel like we should also talk about uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, the comics, for a bit. Yes. Because um, it's very relevant to, to this. Um, so I read this because of you, Mandy, uh, and I've read it all. Uh, and um, there's a lot. So the Ultimate Universe, for anybody who doesn't know, a lot was taken from that for the MCU. Um, the Ultimate Universe was basically a way, uh, you know, people who listen to the show have heard me rant. I really don't like the way that mainstream, uh, the big two handle comic book continuity. I think that uh, it is basically an albatross around the neck of comic book writers and that they'd be much better off if they didn't have any mainstream continuity that lasted more than a year or two for any of these characters. And they just kept using the characters and knowing that we can, that, you know, trusting readers to fill in the blanks when they fill something in is like, oh, look, in this version... Uh, Peter is dating Gwen and he's in college in this version he's you know post-college and is dating MJ and so on and you can reference past events and we can just make assumptions based on those and you can fill in the detail therein but uh, the the ultimate universe in Marvel was a way for Marvel to sort of scrap everything create a brand new modern take on these characters and some of them were good some of them were bad and I think most people generally agree that the best the consist- most consistently good take in all of these was Ultimate Spider-Man in that universe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have opinions about Ultimate Avengers, and they're not good. Right. <laughs> I, I actually enjoy Ultimate X-Men at the beginning. I don't know where it goes. I only read, like, the first 20. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I've heard interesting things about Ultimate Fantastic Four, but I've never actually read it. Um, and I only know about as much of it as intersects with Ultimate Spider-Man. But generally, Ultimate Spider-Man is one of those things that's lauded as independently a fantastic comic. Uh, the whole thing. <laughs> right. So. And, and it starts with Peter in high school, and it goes on beyond that. Uh, I, mean, uh, this I think is- it ends with him in high school, because he... A, he uh, well, he dies. He dies. This yeah. is a spoiler, but like the comic is a long time running, and I knew that going into it when I started reading it, and it did not ruin my appreciation at all, because it's really just a matter of how well it's done. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man is also where we get Miles Morales, who is mm-hmm. the really the the non the first real non-Peter Parker Spider-Man, who is also black and Latino, right? Mm-hmm. He's mixed race, and, um, and people love Miles. And it, it's very important to realize, like, comic book fans are not necessarily are not generally accepting of no, new characters no, taking the not. place of, of their <laughs> beloved characters. So if you ever go and try and find fan reactions back when Miles first got the thing, fans were not on board. And it is nuts to see how much fans took to him afterwards. Like, it was just done so, so well that Miles is a beloved character now, you know? Um, and that says something about how good and how well the story just was put together for Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, and we will definitely talk about some of that right. later on. And and I think there's something to be said. The reason why people could accept Miles, uh, and for me, is P- 
Peter Parker's death affected me. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I wasn't reading live. Like, I read Ultimate Spider-Man in, like, a feverish weekend of, like, I need the next comic. <laughs> like, that's all I did was read Ultimate Spider-Man. And, and I still, like, it emotionally affected me when Peter died. I and, cried when I read that. Yeah. Uh, and so you didn't just get a new Spider-Man that was like, and now you get to start over again and just pretend like this other thing never happened. Like Miles was emotionally affected by Peter's death. Like Peter is his Uncle Ben uh, in a way that like, it's not like Uncle Ben, it's not like Peter and Miles were related, but like that it affected Miles that strongly that that gave us all a way to connect with Miles because yeah. we were all feeling this pain and then we felt it with Miles and and it was it was just a beautiful handoff um, and I I just love the Ultimate Universe so much partly because of its high schoolerness but partly because it embraces everyone else who's also a high schooler in that universe like kind of this whole idea of aunt may's home for wayward superheroes yeah uh, you know it's like the fact that peter and johnny storm are friends because they're the same age and like they hang out or kitty pride or like all these other characters where it's just like of course they like are drawn to each other because they live in this adult world and they're like 16 yeah uh, and, and it was just, it's a really great story. Uh, the whole thing, uh, and Miles is great. I, I really love Miles and his friends and his uh, whole situation. Um, and you definitely see the influences of both in this movie. Right. And uh, and I think, I think and I hope that uh, Sony and Marvel are looking at more to take from Ultimate Spider-Man for the next movie because and for the rest of this franchise as it continues because I think it gives, and we will talk about details when we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming, but I think it gives a really good map for how to make this series continue without any of it falling into the trap that these series often do. Um, so with that, are you ready to start talking about this movie? <laughs> yes, we've already talked 20 minutes about things that are not this movie. <laughs> right. So um, I guess to start, uh, without spoilers... You and I both really like this movie in general, yes. right? Uh, I would say it is both my favorite and I think the best of the Spider-Man movies, which are two different statements. Um, I don't think it is. I okay. think Spider-Man 2 is the best Spider-Man movie in the sense of a movie. Whether okay. we can argue about whether Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Peter Parker are truly Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Uh, but I think Spider-Man 2 is a better movie. Okay. Uh, I think this is a better Spider-Man so I agree with you. I think this is a better Spider-Man movie. I think Spider-Man 2 is a better movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and part of that is this is the best Peter Parker movie. Yes. Uh, by a lot. I think like Tom Holland nails Peter Parker um, and the feeling that it must feel when he's getting used to his powers and stuff. Like even at the end, it doesn't feel like he has a full handle on it, which I think is fantastic. Um, and uh, that's a, it's a great little way. Like it feels like he is a teenager who is growing throughout this movie, you know? Uh, and that's not yeah. a thing that even in the first movie, I don't think Peter, uh, the, even in the first Peter, uh, excuse me, first Spider-Man movie, I don't think I got that vibe from Peter. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why I don't get frustrated with this Peter Parker. I tend to get frustrated with people I foresee as making stupid decisions. And a lot of times that includes teenagers. Um, but this Peter actually felt like a teenager. And so I saw that from his perspective, all the decisions he was making made complete sense. Yes. Um, whereas when someone's supposed to be playing a teenager, but they don't feel like a teenager, I unconsciously don't give them that same benefit, right? I'm like, you are 25. <laughs> You yeah. should be making better decisions, uh, which is kind of how I felt about previous Spider-Mans. Whereas this one, when he makes a 
uh, you know, just the non-spoilery, like, he doesn't trust Aunt May with a secret, right? Like, uh, that feels sane to a 15-year-old, right? He's trying to protect her. But when you're, like, 25 and you're Tobey Maguire and I'm like, you were putting her in more danger by not telling her. Yeah, when they perpetuate it, too, yes. right? Like, like it's like, hey, now you've learned the detail necessary to realize you were wrong. And that's the thing is, in this, it it doesn't feel like Peter's stupid. It just feels like he's wrong. Yes. You know? And that's, I, I think, really important. Whereas when when you start to feel like the lead character is stupid, but they're not supposed to be, is it, it's very frustrating. Right. Um, and this Peter never feels stupid. He just, uh, there are a lot of things too. There's a, uh, you know, people know that uh, obviously from trailers and so on that Iron Man, um, that Tony Stark is in this and like some of the interactions they're in, it's like Peter does some, a couple of pretty stupid things. But when you take a step back and look at the grand scope of things, it's like, hey, other people bear some of that responsibility. Other people bear a lot of that responsibility. Yeah, Tony absolutely. Stark is 50 freaking years old. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> they should have acted in a different way to make it easier for Peter to make the, the smart decision. Right? Right. Um, and they didn't. And so I, I think it's great. Um, another really good thing that this movie does, which uh, is just not do the origin story. Like there's a couple throwaway lines and that's it. And I think that's great. We don't need um, to see Uncle Ben die again. No, we don't need to see that. We don't need to see the spider. We don't no. need to see any of that. Like, it doesn't matter. It's like, you know, just an offhanded comment saying, I was bitten by a spider. It's like, oh, can it bite me too? No, no, the spider's dead. It's like, there you go. In in a, a couple of seconds, you've said that, hey, some special spider with, you know, hand-wavy science's magic uh, <laughs> powers bit Spider-Man, gave him his powers, and it's gone, so it can't make other Spider-Man. And they you also know? allude to the tragedy in Aunt May's life. Which, you know, ultimately doesn't even have to be Uncle Ben. We have no knowledge of whether Uncle Ben even exists in this universe. It could just be that her brother or sister and their wife died, right? Or you you know what I meant. I don't know whether she's... Peter's parents. Yeah, Peter's parents died. It's always been ambiguous to me how the Parkers are related to each other. Uh, It... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it's pretty, I mean, I don't know where it's from. In this, it certainly is. But I think in general, it's except, like, generally it's Peter's dad and Ben uh, are brothers. I, I mean, think it is- has to be for it to make sense. But I feel like some other things have alluded differently and it's confusing to me. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, yeah, like, it, it could just be that, right? Um, right? We don't know. Or it could be Uncle Ben died. We we really don't know. Um so, and I think it was unnecessary, and that's why they didn't tell it. You didn't need to. Everyone knows Spider-Man's origin. Yes. Everyone. And the thing is, even if you don't know a superhero's origin, you can still make them compelling, you know? Yeah. Like, that's true for, hey, if you ever want to introduce us to brand new superheroes, we don't need to know their origin. Like, unless understanding their origin is going to be a key part of understanding why the character does the things they do, we don't need their origin story, you know? Yeah. Um Like, I would say for Captain America, it's important, right? Uh, Yeah. You know, even Iron Man, it's important. Uh, But, like, we don't need to know Hawkeye's origin story in the movies, right? Like, he just is. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that in this, it's not the story of he gets his powers. Well, we don't know that it's his story of he gets his powers, then Ben dies because he doesn't use his powers to save him, right? Like, maybe he was just brought up really well, and yeah, sure, in the next movie, maybe he will bring out that, like, uh, you know, a line saying, like, you know, my uncle used to say a thing, and hopefully say the line differently, and it could just be, hey, I was raised by my uncle, my uncle loved me, he was wise, and I already knew this lesson before I got my powers, you know? Like, that can be a thing. That's okay. It still sticks with you, you know? Um, Some people are good people because they were raised to be good people, (laughs) and I think that's fine. Um, Yep. So, yeah. Uh, 
So I guess, yeah, we still haven't really touched on on spoilers. Um, I, I do think Michael Keaton's great as a bad, like, he just does a great job of his part. Uh, I don't know if you agree on that. I've always thought Michael Keaton makes a better villain than Hero. I agree, yeah. <laughs> we already um, know my opinions on Michael Keaton Batman. <laughs> um, and there's also leading into this, you and I had talked about this before, I think... Definitely, you and I have talked about it. I don't know if it was on the podcast or not, but you talked about your worry that uh, Tony Stark would play too significant a role in this. I think yes. that was when we were talking about um, Civil War yes. and Spider-Man's influence. So uh, what's your take on that in this? Um, I, <laughs> It's complicated because his role wasn't overly significant, but the fact that it wasn't more significant, I think it's a failing of Tony Stark as a character. <laughs> Which is okay, yeah, because <laughs> uh, Tony Stark has many failings. <laughs> so I spent the whole movie very frustrated with Tony and Happy both, um, but overall, I think it works. Um, I I feel like there's a lot of us who are getting a little bit bitter against Tony Stark as a, a not even as a person or character, but like his existence in the MCU because they feel this need to put him in everything, and it's like, did Civil War need to be Iron Man four? Um, but this doesn't feel like it's Iron Man 5. Um, it feels more like Tony Stark is a wayward uncle who swoops in occasionally and does something and walks off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like it's a less bad version of the interactions between the Avengers and Spider-Man in Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Like, like, that is terrible. Uh, as a, again, for people who haven't read Ultimate Spider-Man, like, Peter Parker is the best person in that universe by like a lot, <laughs> uh, by a lot, a lot. And it's very clear that like, you know, yeah, the, the, uh, the Avengers in that universe are way worse than they are in the MCU. Um, right. It is <laughs> and... very true. <laughs> Please do not read anything to do with ultimate Avengers. Do not come back and say, Mandy told told us to read ultimate Avengers. No, <laughs> don't do it. They are bad people. And it is stories about bad people. Um, who arguably try to do good things. But um, but yeah, it, it's very much a... This is like, basically, because Tony hasn't been a responsible adult for his entire life, you yeah. know? Uh, this is basically him trying to be responsible and failing at it, I feel like. And I think that's a good way to pull Spider-Man into the big picture. I, I mean, if you're going to have to do it, it feels more organic than many other ways I can imagine for them trying to pull him in. So far, all of Tony and Spider-Man's interactions make me hate Tony Stark, <laughs> uh, which, uh, I mean, this is a man who used and abused a child for his purposes in Civil War, though Spider-Man yep. doesn't view it that way. He did. He used him and then abandoned him. Yep. A and I just have no good feelings for Tony. Uh, I, I feel a little sympathy towards Happy because it is so not his job. <laughs> It is not his, you know, like, this is not what he signed up for. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm like, come on, Happy, you're supposed to be slightly more of an adult than Tony. Um, so you could, should at least occasionally respond to a text. <laughs> right. Uh, but, like, I, on the one hand, I get that Tony is a very conflicted, uh, struggling character who really doesn't know how to be a father, right? Uh, the, I get that him, his handling of Peter is probably very similar to how Howard handled Tony. Uh, but you would think the whole point of Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 was that Tony was supposed to learn and be better than his father. Yeah. So, Because honestly, you look at this too and the way that this movie ends and there's a lesson that Tony should have learned in there that he didn't. Right. 
you know, and it really frustrates me because basically everyone leaves with the same incorrect message about how different people's interactions resulted in a given situation. Right. You know, uh, so anyways, uh, <laughs> I feel like we should actually start to get into spoiler territory and talk about specifics. <laughs> is that Sounds good to me? Cool. Uh, so the beginning of the movie is Michael Keaton's origin story. <sighs> how do you feel about this? Well, I have many feelings about this, which is that Michael Keaton is not wrong. <laughs> okay, you can't just go cause a disaster and then collude with the government to get paid to clean it up. Like, it doesn't work that way, Tony Stark. Uh, two, the government actually owes Michael Keaton money. If there was a contract between the government and Michael Keaton's company, the government can't just come in and make that void and null. They have to compensate him. For he did not overextend himself, like they said. No, he bought the right amount of purchases to do what he needed to do to do the job of a contract he already had. And then the government pulled the contract out on him. And I'm sorry, I have a lot of knowledge about government contracting. <laughs> and so the whole opening scene, I'm just like, Tony Stark is wrong and the government is wrong. <laughs> um, Michael Keaton is right. Okay, so in this situation, I'm glad that you ended with the conclusion you did because... I was going to object to what you were saying, but realize we're on the same page because it's like, yes, you're absolutely right in that this is how it's supposed to work. But I totally can read the situation as people breaking the rules and them making the case that, well, you shouldn't have overextended yourself when it really wasn't that per like when that person did everything they should have. Because it reads a lot like people in the real world who, uh, let's say, stomp on the rules and find ways out of them, uh, out of commitments they've made and take no responsibility for the fact that they just screwed over pe other people over. I mean, the thing it was, I guess I knew from the beginning, from the fact that Michael Keaton owns this company that, and I'm sorry, his name is Tombs, the Vulture, <laughs> whatever. Yes. Michael Keaton, we will keep referring to him by Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to remember his character's actual name. Um, so. <laughs> but uh, he he must be wealthy to own such a company in New York City. Like, I knew that from the beginning. And and from the beginning, he's talking about, you know, being able to keep his family in the manner they've been accustomed to being kept. Uh, and so someone that wealthy can afford a lawyer. <laughs> uh, granted, it would have taken years to um, sort out in the courts. I recognize that. Um, but it, it's just, I part, part of it, part of me gets frustrated because while, yes, Corruption happens in the real world. This is such a gross uh, uh, injustice of our system. Uh, like the system literally does not work this way. There are so many rules in government contracting. There are so many rules and they exist for a reason. <laughs> I So my read on it was that uh, when, the way they were talking about it, it would be a lot like when the Department uh, of Homeland Security first was created and like messed with a whole bunch of things like where they essentially would argue that, Hey, this has become a national security issue and therefore overrides other things, whether it should or not. I mean, you can override other things, but you still have to honor the contracts and uh, pay them out for what they've already done is what I'm saying. Like yeah. you can cancel a contract, but it's like trying to get out of your lease in an apartment, right? Yeah. You, that's, that's the point. He probably would have been paid for it. Yeah. Even if, even if it wouldn't have been nearly as much as he would have for doing the job because of how contracts were written right. or something, he would have been paid something. I, I definitely think he would not have gotten as much money, but he would have been compensated in some manner. Um, so, yeah, uh, Michael Keaton representing the little guy, kind of. <laughs> the little guy, large company owner. Um, and uh, being right, but then he takes, instead of fighting 
you know, taking his injustice to court and doing it the right way. He, of course, uses it as an excuse to become a supervillain. Yep. And I think it's great. uh, You and I have talked many times about sympathetic villains. I think it's great that it just sets from the beginning. Hey, this is a person who is a bad guy, period. I mean, he's selling, he's making these weapons and selling them to, you know, selling essentially weapons of mass destruction to people. Like, that's wrong, period. He's wrong for doing that. But we also see where he's coming from. And it's just like, it doesn't, you know, not all of these situations are confusing or hard to understand or hard to wrap your head around. And I like that this movie doesn't try to make it some weird thing that we hem and haw about. It's like, hey, this person came to the wrong conclusion, despite having, you know, some of it based on, like, some of it based in truth. Like, it was a real injustice done to him, and that is done to many others. But he's still wrong to be doing what he's doing, right. you know? And and it, I like that they didn't turn it, this into an ongoing... Do- discussion like there's basically one time maybe twice where he mentions that to peter but it's not a thing to get into a deep argument about it's like peter doing the right thing you know and in the end you know in the end that situation essentially being resolved and i really like that because sometimes in comic book movies and other movies you're like no this is not that complicated guys like this should be straightforward to i can understand how a person would come to this conclusion but to the audience it should be pretty straightforward and they don't mess around with us in that respect so i like that a lot but of course, then after we get this superhero or- origin or villain origin, this movie commits its greatest co- crime against Marvel movies. <laughs> because this happens during the Battle of New York, the villain origin story. Then yeah. we get the placard, the big letters, eight Why? years later. Why? Why did they feel that need? Why just the number don't put eight? A, just don't put a number. Just, just say like years later. Many years later. <laughs> and I feel so much pain and I still have not resolved this uh, because it's very clear that Spider-Man Homecoming takes place months after Civil War. Uh, Like Civil War kind of happens in the summer, maybe. uh, And then Spider-Man goes off to, you know, his sophomore year in school. Uh, And it's like, I think it even says like three months later or something like that. Um, So it's just like, you just tied Civil War to the Avengers in a distinct, clear way that directly contradicts how Civil War tied itself to Iron Man. And I can't even. I can't yeah, it doesn't make sense. Because Vision says, eight years ago, you said you were Iron Man to Tony. And I just, ah. It's such, like, and it's weird, like, how... Did they not have fans watch this movie before they put it out? Like, that, I guess that's my question, because all they needed to do was not put the number eight. Just, just don't put a number. It's a single character difference and shifting of alignment to center the new, <laughs> the, the new text, you know? Like, that's it. And suddenly this is not a problem. Right, right which is what I don't get. Because every time, you know, Kevin Feige talks about uh, continuity and stuff like that, he's like, we're not bound by continuity, which, okay, fine. Uh, and he's like, we try to stay big picture. Okay, fine. Then why did you put eight years later? Like, I, you didn't have to put a number. If you're going to do that, just be vague all the time. Yes. <laughs> which is how it's worked up to this point, right? Short of Guardians of the Galaxy, which has a distinct year and arguably the Winter Soldier, uh, everything else has been vague and it's worked. It's all worked in our minds, but now they broke it. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, there's really, there's only a few explanations for this. One is they really don't care, which means we should hold it against them because it's like, look, you should at least respect your viewers. Like, it's, it, So either you don't care that your fans care, uh, which is, you know, irresponsible. Even if you don't think it's as important as your fans do, you should care that they care, right? Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, another would be, hey, they're deliberately trying to break things, which is like, why? Like, there's not really a justification for that. Um, or they're 
kind of incompetent, which is like, hey, you should have people who are good at this stuff on the on the job. Like, I, there's not a, there is not an explanation that makes them look good. The there are only, only explanations explanation that make them look bad. That works continuity wise is that everything in phase one, everything between Iron Man and Avengers, takes place in the same hellish nine months. Uh, which then, and I, I've been talking this around with people. That then kind of makes Fury's motivation for um, creating these crazy drone helicarriers in Cap 2 a little more reasonable. <laughs> uh, still not a good idea, Fury. That was still terrible. Right, but uh, much more but like a, a, an idea born out of like passion and like sort of a, a dire need, like a you know desperation, I guess. A right. desperation play. So that's the only thing I can think of. Like if, if we can imagine that Iron Man... You know, he gets kidnapped in, you know, the winter, let's say. Uh, He's gone for three months. Then the rest of the events of Iron Man happen in, like, April, you know. And then, like, three to four months later is Iron Man 2. uh, And then three to four months later is Avengers. (laughs) You know, like, boom. Uh, Which then makes Loki's time in space, though, gone really short, which I'm not sure how I feel about. Uh, But they've broken their continuity. I'm trying to fix it. Uh, Marvel, you um, feel free to call me at any time. I will consult for free. Uh, So I'm I'm not worried about Loki's time away because, I mean, you know, there's like, what is it? Parallel universes, dimensions, however they describe about it. I I could accept some hand wavy thing saying time passes differently. Yeah, I, I, I can accept that from Loki's perspective. I right. guess I just thought it was a little longer from Thor's perspective. Oh, that makes sense. You're right. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- there are ways the movies tie themselves to each other. Like, we know Thor 2 is two years after Thor, and somewhere in the middle of that is Avengers. Um, we know that uh, Iron Man and Thor take place at the... Iron Man 2 and Thor take place at the same time. We know Captain America 2 comes after Captain America 1. <laughs> right? But... <laughs> uh, we know Iron Man 3 is at Christmas time, but before this, they have never been like, these things happened in May 2010, you know? Right. Uh, and now it just seems very like, does this movie take place in 2016, meaning Avengers took place in 2008? Or does it take place in 2018, meaning Avengers took place in 2010? Or does it take place in 2020? I literally have no idea. The system is broken. Why the heck did they put a number when they could just put many moons later and I would have accepted it? Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm going to say, and I had, I said this long ago, um, I was like really early when the MCU started be- getting big, I already started talking about, I'm really worried that the MCU is going to get to that point that I feel with co- main comic book stuff where like, where the continuity is a problem. And it's like, now they have a way to not make that a problem by just paying careful attention to it because you do have centralized control over things. It's not nearly as many pieces of media as having, you know, 35 different superhero comics going concurrently for, you know, 20 years straight is. Um, It's really just not. Each movie is not that much media compared to a whole tons of different comic book stories where every single one has to be independently compelling and have its own thing for if people are only watching that one and, and so on. Like, it's a much easier thing. And it feels like they have now made this a problem where it didn't need to be. Like, I, I feel right. like they're absolutely falling into that trap. I was afraid they would. But, uh, and I said this on Twitter, like, it's an unforced error. Like, this, why put yourself into this hole when you didn't need to? Like, you have the benefit of the fact that your actors and actresses are actual mortal people who will need to retire and age out of their roles, and so you can move new superheroes into their places and stuff like that. Like, that's a benefit to keeping this stuff staying sensible and feeling real to people who are watching. Uh, and it, now it's like you just made 
you threw in a detail that you didn't need to that now you have to adhere to in some weird way and it throws a whole bunch of other things into question where if you didn't, you'd still have the freedom to keep doing things the way you wanted to. It's like, don't... I like the idea that they're not bound to a, a major continuity and that they just need to make sure the big picture things fit. So, like, why put small detailed things in there that make it, that kind of wreck it? Um, I, it's very frustrating to me. I, I am extremely frustrated. The other thing that gets me when people are like, well, it's like 15 films. How could they, how could you imagine them to keep to any sort of continuity? <laughs> and I'm like, have you ever seen books? <laughs> like authors spend so much time making sure their mini book novel, like, you know, Wheel of Time is in continuity with itself. Yeah. It's not that hard. Like, uh, y- you know, and the authors actually, like Brandon Sanderson has a continuity guy. Like, uh, Orson Scott Card, for all that, I uh, his yeah. stuff breaks his own continuity at times. He actually does have people read stuff for his continuity. Like, they do this. They think about this. They care. To me, it's not so much the storytelling implications or whatever, even though it's lazy storytelling. It's the fact that this tells me they don't care. Yeah. At all. I, I agree with you completely. And, uh, and it, it, again, the fact that it's difficult is never a reason why is never an excuse. Especially when the answer is just stay vague. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Staying vague would have fixed it. You don't like because it's difficult isn't a reason to do it badly. Yeah. It's a reason to avoid doing it unless you are willing to put in the effort to do it well. And reminder, these people are paid millions and millions of dollars to do it well. <laughs> like, you know, like so it's not okay to do it poorly. It's just not. You know, uh, you have two choices here. One is put in the effort. The other is to avoid the thing because you're afraid you can't do it well. Right. Um, because that's not an important part of it. Like, again, you take risks on some areas, right? Like, I I want them to mix up genre and make movies feel different from each other and stuff like that when you get the universe this large. You need to take risks in that area. And I will forgive you botching it every once in a while as long as you do something experimental. But, like... It's very easy for you to get people who care about this kind of thing and be like, nope, nope, this doesn't work. And for you to just not commit to it, you know? Right. So we've probably uh, spent enough time on this considering it's not that important. It's just super annoying. (laughs) Uh, So going forward to actual Spider-Man, you know, it's been so long that I don't remember the plot exactly. And I'm not sure we need to exactly walk through the plot. So I guess, Michael, what is the next thing that stood out to you? That you want to talk about? Um, well, it was so. I guess uh, pretty quickly, uh, Peter gets the the suit, right? Uh, he got the sp- suit at the end of Civil War, right? But there's a there's a point where, from our perspective in this movie, we see his side of getting it in this too, like because we see him doing the internship thing. We see the suitcase showing up in his room with the right. suit, and him being like, "Whoa, what? This is for me!" Uh, and so, like that that whole thing happens, and he gets really excited about it, and and so on. So it's like. It's sort of a, a timeline that happens in both of these two movies, right? Uh, and he goes around doing the... I, I mean, really the big thing for me is using that suit and him not being up to its capabilities is a big, big theme, right? So we're we're given... We're presented it in pretty clever ways. Like, there's him wanting... Being impressed with the things the suit enables him to do now that he couldn't have done on his own, right? Mm-hmm. Uh other people, many people witnessing that he's not an adult, that he's clearly a teenager. I mean, Don, Donald Glover's cameo is fantastic. Um, and I guess we'll probably talk about that <laughs> in yes. a bit because of implications therein. But um, but there's that interaction with, with the suit that goes throughout the entire thing. Like, 
you know, when he's fighting the the vultures guys for uh, to get their to get the weapons from them and stop them because, you know, he noticed them uh, when he's at this party trying to prove himself. He like, you know, he's dragged along in the wake of a van. He doesn't know how to run through um, through like backyards and stuff. You know, it's it's like a it's kind of like a scene from I mean, there's a lot of different things. Well, yeah, there's that. I mean, they specifically call that out in the movie. Um, there's, you know, it, it's like a comedy scene starring a superhero who has no idea what he's doing, because that's what Spider-Man is, is a superhero who has no idea what he's doing. Um, and the suit is the kind of thing that you would think would only belong to a professional, someone who's been doing it for a while, right? Like, if you think about in uh, in past depictions of Superman or Spider-Man, rather, a lot of the time it's he's going with a homemade suit, like the one he does make for himself in this movie, and that sort of that moment where he makes himself a really nice suit is after he's started to figure out what he's doing. Like, it's him developing the suit for himself that doesn't have all these technological implants, but just, like, you know, just that it looks nice is sort of a part of his own personal development alongside his development of maturation with the powers. Whereas in this, they're disconnected, and I really like the way they call that out, you know? Uh, we, we learn about the training wheels mode, which, at first, you want to sort of get offended with him and then you realize oh no there are there are reasons for this <laughs> like you are 12 years he, old <laughs> he really should be untraining wheels uh, with this because he is not capable of doing all these other things he is it's not like even competent enough in his own mode initiated no <laughs> exactly and then there's just the other things where he hasn't even thought about like somebody should not have a kill mode unless they've thought about why a kill mode would exist right right um somebody should not have taser uh what's it you know Taser webbing web. and, all, and and like any other ones, unless they've thought about the fact that man, it would be really nice if I could do this other thing with my webbing. And see, the, I mean, and that's just the distinction between Tony being an adult and Peter being a kid, right? Right. Tony's been in that situation where you have to kill this person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you you know, like that. It, he knows that situation. Peter doesn't. And that's why Tony wants Peter to stay on the ground, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just that Tony, instead of explaining himself to Peter like an adult, I'm so mad. <laughs> or giving him a suit that doesn't have that stuff and then just giving him another suit later. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that would also make sense. I, I just still feel like half of this movie is, there are so many times in my life where... If my parents didn't talk to me like I was a person, I would not have done what they wanted me to do, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I feel like there are a lot of adults who feel like, who stop, don't remember that kids are people. <laughs> and if Tony had just sat Peter down and been like, hey, I'm not ready to call you up on the Avengers, that thing in Civil War, that was just a tight pinch where we really needed your help. Uh but the you're not ready for that level of danger. Um, so I want you to just kind of be training here, uh, you know, doing this stuff. Like, Peter would have griped, but he would have been more understanding than the feeling of abandonment he gets from Tony, right? Like, he was just dropped off in Queens and left there. Uh, and, and it just makes me so angry because Tony is an adult who should know better, and he should know better because he was Peter once. Yep. Uh, and it just uh, frustrates me. I think the difference being... So, you know, we, we've heard and num numbers of people have, have heard this thing. And I, it's a nice little thing that people throw up on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. It's like, you know, be the person you needed when you were younger. Right. But like the fact is, Tony never really had that person. <laughs> so so it's hard for him to even model what that would look like. So he might think he's doing because he's probably doing more than others did for him in that context. You know? Yeah. But Tony. But it's still not enough. 
And he bears responsibility for that, for sure. It's not enough. And I feel like he should have learned from what happened to him, from his growth as a human in Iron Man 2 and 3, uh, from the examples of other people who are now in his life, like active members of his life, uh, and and just like from, hey, maybe I should occasionally text this kid. (laughs) You know, especially considering this, most of this takes place after Civil War. Like, this is a lesson he specifically learned in Civil War, right? Where it's like, hey, communication solves a lot of these problems. <laughs> like, us talking about why we're doing this thing, like, that helps a lot, right? Because supposedly, at the end of Civil War, he comes a- away with some wisdom about his relationship with Cap, right? Supposedly, or it's just that if he ignores it, it'll go away. But, I mean, <laughs> you get the impression that he learned a little yeah, bit, right? I, like, we're supposed I, to have that impression. Yeah. <laughs> And this does not feel like a a Tony who learned that lesson. So I feel like, you know, Peter acts completely reasonably, right? He does exactly what Tony wants him to do. He stays on the ground. He helps little people. He just wants acknowledgement from happier Tony, right? I would would say more than that. He wants to do good. And he's trying to do good. And they are his way to help do more. Because he feels like and is right that he can do more than just stop muggings on the street right? Like, he is capable of more. Now, should he be fighting people with giant, like, destructive weapons? No, that's not what his skill set is. It's not yet, you know, it's not his powers aren't good against things that will explode like a a city block, right? He's vulnerable to that in a way that Tony's armor protects him and etc, etc, you know? So like, there are things but but them talking to him is the only way for them to be like, hey, okay, we will deploy you on things that kind of are below our grade, but are above the stuff that you're able to pick up just watching the street, you know? And then the other big example of this, right, is t- uh, Peter tells Tony about the vulture situation. Yes. Uh, Tony, in his head, is like, oh, I should do something about this, but does not verbalize to Peter yeah. And then he has the gall to get mad at Peter for thinking that Tony wasn't going to do anything and Peter has to stop it himself. So Peter does try to stop it himself. And then Peter blows the FBI sting. Right. And I will just say that at the end of this, Peter feels bad about it. He should not feel bad about it. Like, as far as he's aware, he is the only person who knows about this. Right. And he got blown off by the only adult he trusted with it. So, like, if you don't (laughs) tell Peter, you cannot be mad at Peter for not reading your mind, Tony Stark. Right. Absolutely not. Like, you can, no matter how much you say, hey, don't worry that, you know, the adults have this kind of thing taken care of. If you don't even address this specific situation to say, hey, thanks for the heads up. We have a plan in place. Then, like, because if you say that, Peter can be like, hey, by the way, I heard that they're doing this. And Tony could be like, hey, stay clear, you know, because then it's like, oh, they've got it. You know, and they've listened. So I helped, you know, like some of that edification, it, keep, it both keeps the kid out of trouble and lets a kid who has the ability to, to to help the world around him know that, yes, it is valuable that you're helping in these ways. Like you are helping, you know, uh, and, and you're not doing any of that. And to drive this forward too, in the conversation where Tony is trying to make him feel bad about it, Tony says, no one else believed you. I'm the only one who did and supported you in this. It's like, well, if you didn't say that, and now Peter also knows that no one else believed it anyways. Like, that's more, if you don't in the future say that you're listening, he should assume no one's listening. Right. You know, like, like he is right to assume that. And he's right to put his neck on the line and possibly die in a situation if he can save a couple of people because that's the right thing to do. So Peter's judgment in this, like, it's stupid, but it's the right thing, you know? And it's the right thing given the circumstances that he has. Like, as soon as you say, hey, other people who have the ability to stop this are on it, 
that's when he should, like, the right thing is for him to back off and let them do it so he doesn't get in the way. But, um, yeah, so very frustrated with that. I'm very uh, but angry I, at Tony Stark, if you can't tell listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and for what it's worth, for what it's worth, I think the movie did a good job of putting this responsibility on Tony, because I'm angry at Tony, not at the writers. Right. Which is a good thing. Like, I think that's a great, that's a plus for this movie. You know, I, I think my only frustration with the writers, and this is not a problem necessarily with Spider-Man writers, but more Civil War writers, is they can't, they have not let Tony grow. Yeah. Um, beyond, like, I feel like he learned a lesson at the end of Iron Man 3, and then they've completely backtracked it, and, that, and that's just frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> less about Tony Stark. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about, since it's tied to this, Peter's development in terms of, like, understanding where he's at, because I think that Donald Glover scene is actually really key like it's almost you know i think people might be tempted to think that it's a throwaway haha funny thing but i actually think that scene is really important to the movie uh, having some guy who you know some guy just go like you need to be better at this part of the job who is not invested in it you know is is key also the fact that he's probably the prowler and uh and, and therefore is probably uncle. miles's uncle is like well, his i think name is Aaron really awesome. davis isn't that the name of miles uncle <laughs> I think so, yeah. yeah. So I as soon as he said his name, I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Miles' uncle. And then later when he said he had a nephew, I was like, that's definitely Miles' uncle. Well, so I didn't pick up on the name, but I did pick up that his face lit up when they talked about the anti-grav stuff or the climbing stuff. Because mm. that's what, when he was go- doing the deal with, with people for guns and whatnot, he wasn't really interested in any of that. And then they mentioned climbing stuff. And he's like, wait, what? So <laughs> that made me think that he was the Prowler and Miles' uncle. So I genuinely hope that they give us two Spider-Man movies and some involvement in the other MCU stuff and then kill, kill Peter Parker and do that storyline from uh, the Ultimate Universe because I think it would be amazing to have in film form and it would be an amazing way to have Miles come in to the MCU. Uh, I think they have totally set it up to have Peter die and instead of it being Captain America who feels the weight and guilt of that, it's Tony. Yes. And maybe they're waiting for that. Maybe they've decided that that's going to be Tony's real growth moment. I don't know. But uh, but anyway, speaking of the scene, I, I feel like it's important, you know, threefold, right? Like, right. Uh, it's not just that um, Aaron Davis tells him he has to be better at this part of the job. It's that Aaron uh, tells him what he's done well. <laughs> yes. Like yeah. you, you jumped out and wanted people to shoot you instead of me. Uh, it basically, he praised uh, Peter for being the guy on the ground, the little guy who's willing to stand up for little people, right? Even yeah. though Aaron is a criminal. Yeah, uh, he's like, I'm not, I'm not cool with the fact that you're stopping me, but dude, like you put yourself on the line for me. Right. Thanks. Like, even though I was there for a criminal deal, like too, and you know? Like, and it's that's like- why, even though your interrogation has failed, I'm going to help you because I trust you because you're my neighborhood friendly spider-man right (laughs) like i mean he doesn't say that but uh and and i feel like that's the moment where peter is like maybe tony's not wrong about this ground level stuff uh maybe tony's just an idiot in how he expresses himself uh and yes he is really terrible at the interrogation thing Uh, so that's you know what you just said though uh that there's two things that are really important about that not just the fact that hey you're my neighborhood Spider-Man, because that's one thing that separates him from every other hero in the MCU, right? He is, well, every, in the film MCU, right? Like, right. there's the, you have some people, Daredevil, et cetera, et cetera, who are neighborhood people, but they're not friendly like Spider-Man. Um, uh, and then uh, and then you also have the secret identity element, which he's not the first character in the MCU with a secret identity, because Daredevil, uh, but he is the first in the films. Mm-hmm. And the two of those together, it's like, well, how do you make 
the one guy with a mask also somebody who people trust more than the people without a mask and he makes himself relatable by being there on the like by being their dedicated neighborhood guy right, right. and i feel like and everybody in queens knows this is some kid right right they're like this is one of our kids who somehow got superpowers uh and he wants to play it being superhero and we're gonna let him right like i was expecting when the deli blew up that the deli guy was going to get mad at Peter Parker. Because I felt like that's how it was going to go in any other movie, where they were going to blame right. Spider-Man and be like, it's your fault my deli blew up. But that's not what happened at all. I uh, was so worried about that when the whole thing, I, I totally, again, I ro- realized like, oh no, people are going to see this footage and then they're going to do the typical, oh, this terrible Spider-Man, he must get out. Like when Aunt May was looking at the thing, right? When she saw the news, news thing, I thought she was going to say this, this thing that we've gotten way too much in, from Aunt May and other versions of Spider-Man, which is like, that terrible Spider-Man, he should not be there and should leave this up to the other people or he's a problem too. And instead it was like, hey, Peter, if you see something like that, run away, right? Like... So much better how they've handled this thing. It's like, hey, people there like Spider-Man. And right, they should. and the deli owner wasn't blaming Spider-Man. Like, right. it wasn't Spider-Man's fault these villains had these guns. Spider-Man right. just tried to stop the villains. And as soon as he was willing to let the villains go to save the guy in the deli and his cat. Uh, yeah. Because Peter Parker cares about everyone. Uh, and, and I feel like uh, it's this idea that that Queens is as protective of Spider-Man. The other movies, you know, have had those moments, but I feel like if they do that in this one, because we, we didn't really get that in this, but I feel like it will have more earned it because I feel like everyone will think they know Spider-Man. Like Spider-Man did a backflip for a hot dog. Spider-Man helped a little old lady across the road and she gave him a churro, right? Like everyone knows Spider-Man. They just don't know who he is. And right. maybe some of them do know who he is. They're just not stupid and aren't going to blab it around. Yeah, I mean, what I want is for this version of Spider-Man, this Peter Parker, to die in the equivalent of the train scene from Spider-Man 2, right? Like, except bigger, <laughs> you know? So it's like, hey, this is when people find out who he is for sure, instead of wondering. His secret's blown, but they all loved him anyways already, and some of them already guessed, you know? And it's like, oh, and now we don't get to tell him we appreciate him. He's gone. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I just, I, it, this feel, this is why I think this is the best Spider-Man movie by a lot, is like, it sets us up. It sets the entire neighborhood up to love Peter, you know, and I and he deserves it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's great. Uh, do we have more to talk about with Peter or do we want to talk about the high school situation? Because we haven't touched on I that yet. I will say my only other thing about Peter is I'm really glad that this is the first Spider-Man 1 movie to end, to not end with Spider-Man being the responsible party for a friend's parents' death. Oh, yes, that is very nice. <laughs> because both Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man ended with Peter feeling responsible for a friend's parents' death. <laughs> yeah, actually, so going to the Vulture, a great thing they did about that is the Vulture didn't die. And not only that, but you sort of get this feeling that he acknowledged, hey, this kid saved my life. He yeah. didn't have to, you know? So it's like the grudge is over. <laughs> right, well, and Vulture didn't kill Peter when he could have. Uh, right, exactly. There was a moment where he chose to go after the loot instead of kill Peter, where it made a, more, a lot more sense to kill Peter. Uh, so I just really appreciate that while he may feel... I, no, I don't think he's going to feel guilty at all. Sure, it kind of destroyed Liz's life, but that's her father's fault. And I don't think Peter feels bad about that. No, I, Yeah, I think they're going to... They removed all the stupid grudge stuff that happens. I don't think Liz is going to hold it against uh, Spider-Man uh, because... Dude was a criminal. Like, right. it's clear. Uh, it doesn't even look like, I mean, in the end scene with the vulture in prison, he's like, 
if I if I knew, do you think he would be alive? And clearly he's lying, right? Um, and, and he doesn't want to kill Spider-Man. I honestly don't think he even holds the thing against him because remember the way he positioned this whole thing in his internal logic was, hey, we're we're people on the street. We got to look for out for each other. And it's very clear Spider-Man's doing that, mm-hmm. right? Including the people he's fighting as criminals because he like he in that process in that fight he proved he's not Iron Man. Like, right. he is not Tony Stark. He's not a detached person. He's a neighborhood kid who wants people to be safe. He will fight crime, but he's also going to make sure that these people who he's fighting are okay, right? And I think that that is a, where it's sort of like a, almost bringing, you know, Michael Keaton's character around to realize, maybe I was wrong, you know? I, I mean, I'm reading some into that, but I totally, that's the read I get from that end scene. It was like, yeah, no, I'm in prison for the things I did, but Spider-Man's not the bad guy here. You know, <laughs> and I think that's great. Uh, I, I think they did that really, really well. And um, and it also throws in with the ending with uh, Aunt May finding out his secret, you know, like we'll talk about terrible depiction of women in this movie. But oh this gosh. but this set that at least sets things up for doing a better job next time around, um, I think. I hope uh, so. Uh, and yeah, and it fights that stupid stereotype with Spider-Man. Where, like he's he's keeping a secret from everybody forever, and it's like no, this and it puts Aunt May in danger. Right, uh, and and that's dumb. It's like, look, if if Tony already knows, plenty of government people know. Like that's that's it. The the secret's out of the bag for people who are going to have it against him the most. You know. So, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, let's talk about. I guess do we want to talk about women or high school first? Let's talk about women. All right, let's talk about women. Because I'm angry. Uh, let's start. Start. I want your. Uh, I want your your hot takes. I. Uh, there are no female complete characters in this movie. There are female props. <laughs> there are female props. There. From what I hear, they were really close to making Marissa Tomei, who is wonderful. They were very close to making her character a complete character, and then they didn't. Yeah, and she that has, frustrates me. Her whole personality is protective of Peter, and people think she's hot. Her. Her. Yeah. Her life revolves around Peter and being attractive. Right? It's, like she is so objectified in this movie, like it's disturbing. Like I don't even understand. Like I I I mean, she's an attractive 50-year-old woman, but I don't know, so is like my mom and people don't hit on her everywhere we go. Like I... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. There there's a thing and I this I want to bring this up before we get into the complaints because it will highlight what is a major problem with her character. Uh, From what I understand, there's an interview, and I'm not sure if the scene was shot and not included, or if it was written, but then not recorded. But there was a scene uh, written for her character, or maybe she proposed it. It might not have even been written, but like Marissa Tomei said something about wanting this scene in the movie where where there's a moment, something happens in the neighborhood, like, you know, an explosion or something like that. And her character goes out and saves a little kid and is stressed out about it and goes home and doesn't say anything to Peter about it, you know? And it's like, that would give so much. It's like, hey, she's a brave person in and of her own right. She's keeping the secret because she doesn't want him to worry. That, then like, they're the same you know? person, right? Then you're like, well, Peter gets it from her, right? right exactly. Which would and make a lot of sense. <laughs> it would make her an entire character in her own right. Instead, it's just like, does she even have a job? <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, for all we know, they're living on life insurance. I have no idea. Like, she's just always, like, she's either home or she's not. Uh, And it's unclear why she's not home and Peter's not concerned. So maybe she has a job. Uh, She doesn't seem to have any friends. uh, And she has absolutely no personality other than a protective mom. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Um, 
And so you take that in from her, you go to Liz in high school, who we had a great um, Twitter thread about this uh, with various other people on the internet. Um, uh, it was really fun for those of you who are listening, who uh, who were part of that thread. But like, yeah, it, the, the Liz is not compelling. Like, Liz she's has just, no personality either. Her personality yeah. is she's beautiful and smart and possibly kind. And interested in Peter. <laughs> like, that is, it, it, that's... Well, I mean, she's clearly written as interested in it. I don't know. Her only expressions of interest are when she asks him to come on the team event because he's part of the team and they're doing the team, breaking the rules, going to the pool. And she's like, you should do this with us. He's also clearly the ringer for the event, too, right. right? Like, it's clear that he's supposed to be the best person on the team, and that's why they want him there. So so even if she weren't into him, as the coach for the team, she would be super right. invested in him To me, that him came there. across as a very senior mentoring a sophomore moment and not a I'm interested in you moment. Uh, <laughs> and then she inexplicably says yes to him uh, to go to homecoming inexplicably i i do not accept it it makes literally no sense the only reason why people accept it is because the viewer likes peter because we know about peter but she knows nothing about peter all she knows about peter is he is a complete and utter flake and a sophomore and possibly into drugs because let me tell you if someone behaved like peter does around me when i was in high school i would be pretty sure he's a drug addict now i'm gonna go ahead and throw out we're not gonna like hash out this this on here, but uh, to anybody who's listening who wasn't watching our Twitter conversation about this a couple, you know, a few weeks ago or whatever, right after I watched this movie, yes, like there is the headcanon thing, which is kind of what I what I buy, but Mandy doesn't. That like maybe it has to do with their relationship beforehand, and it's just that he's been particularly flaky since this. But I totally understand that, like, hey, it doesn't. He's also been super flaky, and high school feelings do change actually pretty quickly. So, um, so I. I Especially with the age difference between them. So right. even if he wasn't flaky as a freshman, all that says to me is, oh, this cute, innocent middle schooler got corrupted by high school. <laughs> and this is who he's going to be now, a bad kid. Because that happens all the time. I saw that in high school. Kids who were good during freshman year. And then sophomore year, it's all downhill. You know, like, uh, that's... You're, it's in a very impressionable time of your life. Right. You know? And so it's like, as a senior... A senior girl, arguably the most desirable girl in the school, the smartest girl in the school, the girl in the school who is going places to even dine Peter with attention, let alone be romantically interested in him, must mean everyone else in that school utterly sucks. Uh, keep in mind also, she's also wealthy, which has all kinds of, you know, we're not going to imply positively or negati negativity, but it does imply certain things about the way people's, you know, thoughts and impressions of people are formed when you're in high school, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's just like an additional thing that has nothing to do with her character, but just what types of things are going to influence her and things she'll notice, you know? Uh, yeah, like, uh, one other thing, again, the the apologist in me wants to to note there is the fact that he has this Stark internship, as far as everyone's concerned. So it is possible, again, headcanon, that she could be attributing all this negative things to just the stress of the Stark internship and the fact that he's busy with it all the time. But still, I think that's weak. It's that weak doesn't really excuse the flakiness at school. No, no, like, not at all. You but, basically yeah. have a Peter Parker who is contemplating dropping out of school in his sophomore year, right? Like, that's the level he's at in this movie. He is seriously thinking of dropping out of high school. 
because of being Spider-Man and because of Tony, right? Uh, And I just don't, like, I see her being interested in him in the sense of, like, she's worried about him. He's a member of her team, uh, you know, and and she sees the brilliance of Peter and she sees him going down a dark path. Uh, But if I knew a sophomore who was getting that into work as a sophomore, one, I'd probably report it because 15-year-olds cannot work that much. Yeah, so so I want to highlight right here uh, because again we really like this movie and we really like Peter Parker and we talked about how we like the fact that he feels like a high schooler the key thing here is the depiction of Peter here is he his depiction is great as a high schooler thrust into the situation I don't have a problem with Peter <laughs> yeah the uh, the, perspe- the the thing we're arguing with here is from others perspective as people who don't know that he is Spider-Man they should be very concerned they should be if they're not upset with him, they should be concerned. Uh, right. And it yeah. should be one or the other. Like, uh, Ned's getting almost angry with Spider-Man before he finds out, right? Right. Uh, and, um... Why aren't other people, t- like, having similar reactions to Right. Him, and, and I was Liz in high school, minus the rich, attractive part. Uh, <laughs> but the, the captain of the Quiz Bowl team, the president of the Latin Club, the president of the National Science Honor Society, woodwind captain, like, I was that person <laughs> who was, like, in The one char- accomplishing things. Yes, in charge of everything, like, looking out for... Th- and I had a lot of concerns about my younger students, you know, and, like, mentoring them and things like that. But her concern for him comes off very strangely. Uh, and, and it's just, it's because she's not a real character. She's there to be a love object. So as, a si- as an aside, a meta, meta thing right now, for any listeners who ever heard Mandy say that she's a, a Ravenclaw slash Slytherin, that definition of herself should help round out that picture for you a little bit. <laughs> I <laughs> sorry. have to be in charge of everything. <laughs> uh, go, sorry, I, I just like, that's... that just popped up in my head. I I guess to add to this whole I was Liz thing, I'll also throw out I was on prom court. So (laughs) if that helps also fill out this picture. Um, But not that's not because I was stunningly gorgeous. That's because I had amazing name recognition at a very large high school. Um, When your last name is crazy, people remember you. Uh, so yeah, your last name is crazy. I've been calling you the wrong thing all this time. Oh my gosh. No, um, (laughs) So it's just, Liz just fell very flat to me. She wasn't a real character um, other than she she was there to be lusted after and then to, at the appropriate time, return Peter's feelings so he feels rewarded for his good behavior. Yep. Um, Okay, so going from, so we've got Liz and the mom, and then we have uh, the girl who we later find out is MJ. Oh, she has no personality. So (laughs) she has no character. Her character is say quirky thing. Well, uh, she's she also cares about like politics. So she she seems like she's supposed to be a loner activist who's off in a corner and pays more and notices more than other people do. Like she totally already suspects Peter is Spider Man, right? Like I, I think we're supposed to get that vibe by the end. I don't know. It, it just seems like they were trying to go off a lot of girl who says outrageous things, which yes, you can imply activist or whatever, but you know why was she at that party? Yeah. Other than to just be there to say that line. Uh, so I think we're supposed to only know three things about her. She's an activist. She's she's a smart slash an activist. Like that's one. Two is that she's observant. And three, she's into Peter. 
Like, I think those are the three things, and unfortunately, that's not enough to round out a whole character, but I think anything you see from her in this in this movie stems from one of those things. So her being at the party... I didn't really get that she's into Peter. I totally did. Like, I felt pretty early that she was, but she was quiet and not going to say anything about it, and not in a quiet, shy way, but quiet in a, like, well, whatever, he's not into me, why would I, would I say anything about that? And it doesn't really bother me that much. Like, my life isn't centering around it, but just, like, it's a fact of her. I feel like that's why she was at the party. Like, uh, that's what it felt at the time, too. It's not like a, a, an explanation I came to after the fact. Um, so when I was watching that scene and Peter asked why she was there and she kind of blew it off, that's what it felt like to me is she was blowing off saying, I was like, well, I'm not going to say that I'm into him and that's why I'm here. Um, I think. Could be completely wrong. Yeah, I, I didn't read that at all. Uh that she was into him. I just I'm going to say that even if I'm right, though, those three things do not a character make. No. Right? Like, they, they don't at all. So that's still not saying they made her into a fully fleshed out character, and they should have. And it, it's just, it's so frustrating to me to always feel like, well, Aunt May and MJ, they're going to get better in the next movie. They'll flesh them out in the next movie. And I'm just like, why do we always have to wait for the next movie? Yeah. And this is an endemic problem to the entire MCU that for some reason they still haven't figured out. It's like, look, guys, DC has an absolutely terrible film universe, and they figured out how to represent a woman well. Come on! I feel like it's not that the MCU has bad women. I like Pepper. Uh, I I like uh, Jane Foster. Um, uh, I like Darcy. Uh, it's just that th- this movie in particular was probably the worst culprit of it. Um, I, I'm not going to say that the MCU has bad women across the board. I'm saying that the MCU puts no importance on good depiction of women. And that's the problem. Like, cause when we do see those women depicted, well, they're not leads. They're not like super prominent. It's like, it's sort of like a side fact that they are represented well in their, in their capacities. Right. If you made this a more important part in your writing, you'd have more women who are central roles, who are actually changing the direction of these stories because of their strength and independence, and your side characters would be depicted better and more fully, right? Yeah, and, and I think I would have forgiven Liz and MJ if Aunt May had been better, because right. there's an argument to be made that this movie is from Peter's perspective, right? And so from his perspective, Liz is his lust object, and MJ is the weird girl. Right. Uh, but he should know Aunt May. She should, like, yes, Aunt May is mom, but she should be more than that, right? Aunt May should be the person he has weird dance parties at with at two in the morning, right? When he's feeling bad. Or the person that, you know, when she's home, he just crawls up on the, like, uh, like more mom, <laughs> I guess. But, like, the things that make your mom your mom. Right. The quirkiness, the the weird family habits, the things that say this is my mom and not just general mom. And they didn't do that at all. And if we're going to say that, hey, like we know and I think they did a really good job of depicting Peter is a hero at heart. He cares about people. That's why he does this thing. That care when you're that young comes from someone else. Right. Like Mm -hmm. as an adult, you can hit like a, a a a point in your teenage to adult years where you start to, de- to uh, where you start to get your own passion for other people and your own empathy and stuff. But when you're a beginning of, in beginning of high school and you care about other people, like some of that comes from the influence of your parents or other adults in your life, right? Right. We should get the depiction that that is coming from. You know, normally they help with Ben. You know, Ben plays that role, but he's since he's absent, like this is the opportunity to use her for this, right? Mm-hmm. 
get it across that, hey, sure, Ben was all, I mean, she was married to Ben, so maybe it's both of them, but like, she's the person that we should see this from. We should see them having conversations about caring for other people, doing what's right for other people, helping them when you can, you know, but also not being stupid and learning how to be an adult in the world and, and stuff like that. Like, she is a person who should be, unless she's a ditz, which she is clearly not, she should be getting that, uh, we should see that knowledge coming, or that wisdom coming from her to Peter. And we don't get to, and that's really disappointing. Um, yeah. yeah. And those so. are like the only three females in this movie, other than Liz's mom, who's in it briefly, and Pepper Potts, uh, which I'm sure... Which is honestly in a scene that shouldn't have, you know, which went on too long. Um, I, she should have been it for about like three seconds, not like, you know, an additional 30 to 40. But. I, I don't understand what the MCU is trying to do with Pepper and Tony. <laughs> I give up. Uh, why did they break them up for Civil War to have them Tony's practically willing to propose to her in this movie? I, I don't understand. I'm assuming that he, again, this is not, the Tony in this movie is not a Tony who learned the lesson from Civil War, but a Tony who learned the lesson from Civil War would be a, a Tony who seeks out Pepper, I feel like. Yeah, I just feel like they're doing a lot with their relationship off screen, which is really we're just going to have them in whatever on and off again status is convenient for this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, One small unimportant thing in this movie. uh, I really like the depiction of Flash Thompson a lot. I like that he wasn't a typical crew cut blonde athlete uh, where he and Peter had to have a fight and everybody wonder about like, whoa, how did Peter get so good at fighting? You know, like. If you're in a world that has superheroes, people can be like, oh, Peter's Spider-Man, right? right? Like, better to not have that happen in front of people. Well, that in uh, New York does have a very interesting school system where there is a science and technology school that you can yeah. go to no matter where you live in New York City or who you are. So you have rich kids and poor kids who are all smart kids going to the same school for free. It's not a private school. It's a school you have to be accepted into. And so why would there be the typical Flash Thompson in that school? Right, exactly. He is, he is not a jock. He's still a bully, but he's a bully at a magnet school. And, that, and he's depicted well at that. Also, yeah. the fact that he's not a white guy, like this is a school that feels like it's a diverse school because a, sco- a magnet school in New York City would be a diverse school. A, you know, a city in this neighborhood would be pretty diverse. It also, because of the nature of the school and that it's a, like a science and math school and so on, makes it make more sense that Liz, who is rich and lives in the suburbs, goes to the same school as Peter, who is not rich and lives in Brooklyn, like right. in, this, in this beat up neighborhood, you know? And uh, so I think they did that aspect of the high school really well like i like looking and seeing that you know you look at uh mj and liz and ned and flash and peter and none of them are alike right right and that feels good to me like it's not uh it's much better i think than old comics and the old spider-man cartoons where it's like oh look they're all the same they're all the same and the only reason they're different is because we're told they're different you know yeah they're all the Um, same and for some inexplicable reason it feels like they go to high school in the middle of nowhere indiana instead of new york city Right, exactly. Um, we haven't yet talked about my favorite cameo in the entire movie. Can you guess what it is? Uh, Stan Lee? No. Uh, <laughs> Captain America. Oh! <laughs> Those videos, the uh, education videos are so good. And lies! <laughs> like, when Captain America is like, be like Captain America, obey the rules. I'm just like, Captain America has never obeyed a rule in his life. In his life, he's literally in jail right now, or not in jail, but 
a criminal right now because he doesn't obey rules. Well, so I love the gym teacher too. Like this is the scene where where uh, the where Cap points to the screen is like, and my friend the coach, and he points to the opposite direction from where the co- the coach is standing, and then the coach goes like, eh, I'm pretty sure he's a war criminal now, but I still have to show these videos. <laughs> like it was so good. Like I laughed so hard at that. I I love that a lot. Uh, yeah. It's, it was really, really funny. Um, so really apparently well done. they filmed a lot more of those than are in the movie. And I have uh, seen that the director has said they will all be on the Blu-ray. So I am. Well, it's a good thing I buy that. every one of these on Blu-ray. Because yeah. so. <laughs> I want to see every single one of these silly little Captain America PSAs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited by that. <laughs> uh, Steve Rogers. Oh, goodness. Oh, good times. Good time. Um... I don't know that I have much else to say about the movie um, itself. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm happy that they set us up for for Peter making the the right uh, choice at the end, where he Tony was going to show him off to the world and presumably tell everybody about his secret identity, right? Um, and so he wouldn't have a secret identity anymore because that's not a thing that the Avengers have, um, and he would just be an Avenger. But uh, but Tony chose not to and to do the rest of high school. So it's like, hey, good. Peter learned a lesson. Yeah. Um, I, I still don't know how Tony could offer that to him without telling Aunt May. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of he's a minor. He can't just move into the Avengers complex in upstate New York. Yeah, you can't. Also, like the fact that Tony, Tony knows about Aunt May, he's not going to just without saying anything, be like, oh, yeah, we're going to reveal your identity to the world right now when your aunt doesn't know. Like, that's not what uh that doesn't compute um so it really did honestly from peter's perspective it doesn't surprise me that he felt like it was a test because that would make sense it should be a test right like uh that's what a responsible adult would have done that as a test um or well i don't know that he would have even bothered with that test but uh but yeah um it it especially yeah excuse me especially boggles my mind that pepper was in on it too right you think pepper would be like did, did we get Aunt May's permission? <laughs> like, Pepper would be the one getting the legal stuff in the background, which is like, hey, we need Aunt May to approve this before we announce this, or else she's going to sue the pants off of us. You yeah. Know? And she wouldn't be emotionally involved with the, like, when when uh, Tony says that he's not going to do it, she wouldn't be like, what? We can't, we promised them a surprise. Like, that's not Pepper, right? She'd be like, oh, good. I'm glad he made the right decision. <laughs> like, can we do something else now? I feel like it feels a that was a really weird scene for them to stop. I feel like they should have just had Pepper open the door and then end the scene there. Yeah. But um uh I, mean, I really love Pepper was in the movie and I'm glad that she's back cuz she was inexplicably absent from Civil War with some they broke up. Yeah. weirdness, but I so but yeah, I agree. Um what's the question? What's the name of the uh, the gun that people, uh, Chekhov's gun, right? Yes. So I feel like one thing though is the, the spider suit that we saw is now like Chekhov's spider suit. Oh yeah. I mean, it's totally (laughs) that spider suit from the civil war storyline in the comic books, right? Like, uh, the iron spider. Um, that's like a thing. And I saw it and I was like, oh, it's the iron spider. I was like, it seemed a little early for Peter to have that. Uh, right. And it, and it clearly is like, he doesn't even know how to use his current suit. right? Right. Uh, and I I don't know what they can do with like maybe they they will have the whole like Spider-Man stays the neighborhood Spider-Man thing. Uh he does earn his, you know, earn his cred to occasionally help out the Avengers and it's on those missions that he gets the full Iron Spider suit and maybe it's in one of those incidents that he dies, but like around New York City. 
Um, because I feel like he shouldn't have that suit for long if he gets it, but they also can't not give it to him. Now that I feel we know like they'll exists. have to give it to him in an Infinity War. That's a good point, yeah. Because um, he will have to be ramped up, and then if, you know... <sighs> it's essentially what would happen if you gave someone who is stronger and faster and more capable than Captain America Iron Man's suit, right? Right, I mean, <laughs> like, and that's the like, whole argument that Spider-Man kind of makes Iron Man obsolete. <laughs> Because now you have someone who can actually be knocked around in the suit, right? And, and, and I think a lot of times we forget how strong Spider-Man is. Spider-Man is strong. Well, you and I had this exact conversation during uh, when talking about Civil War. Um, so we definitely talked about this on that episode where he is... I mean, yeah, like there's that scene where... Um, what's his name? Uh, Bucky punches at him and Spider-Man just like catches his like yeah. the strong arm like the you know the the robotic one and doesn't just kind of looks at it and it's nothing to him you know yeah. and like, Tony, he's way stronger than Cap Tony is the limitation of his suit so yeah. imagine yeah. Peter Parker in the suit and how much further Iron Man Iron Spider whatever could go like well right and, and it's like you can reduce the amount of armor because the fact is like Spider-Man is in some ways more agile. Like he can't move as quickly, but he is more agile than Iron Man is in the suit. So you can like reduce the things that would, uh, or remove the aspects of the suit that would reduce his natural mobility and just have the things that would augment, right? Mm -hmm. And and he can be like, he's already stronger and faster than Captain America. And it's just like to throw all these other things. So I, I think you're right. It would make sense because for him to be able to keep up with say Vision or uh, or Wanda, like, okay, yeah, you throw that in there and, and suddenly he is one of the most powerful people in the world, you know? Uh, and I think that that makes a lot of sense because it just takes in that extra level beyond the early Avengers. Uh, right. and, and I do like yeah. the idea of the new guard being more powerful than the old, right? Like Iron Man and Steve really aren't that powerful. Uh, Vision could level a city. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I mean, that's why they didn't know what to do with him in Civil War. Uh, and it's just like Spider-Man's on that same level. I mean, he couldn't level a city single-handedly. Um, but... Uh, he, he's on the same level of vision, but he could be if you yeah. give him, if you augment him with like a suit, and then you also have him with this, you know, his other natural abilities and stuff. Like that's, he's pretty, he's pretty up there. Like he's certainly stronger than any of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah, you know, um, and stuff. And so it's like he could be useful in a fight against Thanos yep. uh, in ways that Cap just wouldn't. Like Cap's, Cap's strength in that case would be leadership. Not Cap's strength <laughs> would be strategy. Because yeah. uh, Tony can quote unquote lead badly, but he can. Uh, but he has no strategy. He's not a military man. His strategy is let's go hit him. Right. Uh, you know, Steve's had to think through battles uh, and, and actually like make plans. So, uh, yeah, I, I still feel like I don't know if they're going to kill Spider-Man. Um, I want them to, but I don't think Sony will do it. I think they need to do it in New York. I, the thing I don't is, think. I think regardless, Sony won't let them do it. I don't think Sony is ever going to go to Miles, um, and uh, Sony uh, doesn't want to. It's what they've said. Sony was the one who said this movie had to be about Peter Parker. Well, but there's a difference. So I don't think Miles works without having Peter before him. And if there were going to be rebooting Spider-Man with this, I think it makes sense to say we need to have Peter first, even if they want to do Miles later. It also doesn't do them any good to say, we're going to have Miles one day. Like, uh, from a publicity perspective, I can see them not wanting to do that, even if they are not wanting to say that, even if they had it in the plan. Because Miles, like, so much of his character comes from him and the city grieving Spider-Man together, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, and him kind of taking on the mantle and showing respect for the mantle. And then people being like, okay, yes, we've decided you like, we, we decided you are okay to take it. I mean, there's a really great storyline. Uh, I think I've mentioned it to you before. Uh, and I don't know. Have you read Spider-Man yet? Yes, I did. Okay, yeah. So Spider-Man is a great, it's a four issues, I think, something like that, like a really small run. And it is in the ultimate universe after Peter has died and Miles is Spider-Man and main universe Peter Parker, like because of, you know, whatever, comic books, he crosses (laughs) universes. uh, He crosses universes and pops up into this world and he's Peter Parker, who is an adult and has a family and all that stuff. And he crosses over and he's swinging through the thing and people are like, Dude, and people start yelling. I was like, what are you doing? That's Peter Parker's suit. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what is going on? Because, like, the city loves Peter Parker. They re- they found out he was Peter after he died. They love Spider-Man and Peter Parker, and they feel like it is disrespectful for someone to be in Peter's suit. Like, Miles' suit is different and looks different, right. and people know he's not pretending to be the same person. And then he has a conversation with him and meets his, all his people. But, like, my favorite scene from the entire thing is that, that beginning where where random stranger person is like, what are you doing? That's Peter Parker's suit, you know? Uh, And I think that Miles, like having a city where that is true is essential to Miles really being able to be done justice. Um, I'm hopeful they'll do it. I I don't know if I think they will, but I'm not, I I can see a path to to doing that that they might take. And the fact is, you know, we can't keep actors doing the same parts forever. And I feel like that would be way easier for them to have buy-in and stay part of the MCU than a reboot would the next time they have to keep making Spider-Man movies and they can't use the same uh, actor, you know? So, yeah, I, I really want the MCU to kill someone <laughs> and that sounds horrible. Uh, but whether it's Spider-Man or whether it's Captain America um, and there's, or both or for different repercussions to different people, I, I think there is importance to be told in our heroes dying and dealing with that change and uh, and the noble sacrifice, right? Like, we kind of had that with Steve at the end of the first Avenger, but he came back, which he was supposed to. That yeah. was supposed to happen. Um, you know, so far, everyone who's died has come back. Uh, and I want someone to die and stay dead and it be uh, uh, something that affects people from movies to come, whether that's Bucky struggling with taking on Captain America's legacy or Miles struggling with taking on Peter's. I think Miles's, uh, Peter's death would go a longer way because I think the death of a kid um, yeah. has greater repercussions than the death of a World War II soldier. Um, for all that, I love Bucky Cap and would love to have the Bucky Cap storyline. Um, but the repercussions, uh, to Tony, uh, to Spider-Man, to, to, I mean, to Miles, to the city, um, to everyone, I, and just to all the heroes to see this kid take the bullet that maybe should have been theirs. Right. Right. Um, kind of like, uh, um, Quicksilver dying for Hawkeye, but something that, you know, actually has bigger repercussions because we care about this person, which isn't to say we couldn't have cared about Quicksilver. <laughs> But he was in, like, one movie. Yeah, he was in one movie, and he just wasn't that significant a character compared to others. And, I mean, Spider-Man himself, like, he's a well-loved character. He's easily my favorite Marvel character in general. Like, forget particular universes and so on. And I think that's true of a lot of a lot of people who like comic books. Like, if you go before the MCU started, I think a lot of people would say Spider-Man is their favorite Marvel character. Like, I, I probably Spider-Man and X-Men... Or, excuse me, X-Men. <sighs> Spider-Man and Wolverine. Spider-Man is Marvel's Superman in the sense right. of popularity. 
Right, exactly. Um, and, I mean, he is the only Marvel character I love as much as I love my favorite DC characters, right? Like, it for me, it's basically you get Superman and then Flash, Batman, uh, and Green Lantern. I wish I loved Wonder Woman more, but I just don't have a ton of exposure to her. Um, but it's like those, and Spider-Man for me is up there with, like, Flash and Batman and, and Green Lantern, just like just the next tier under Superman and how much I love him personally. And he's the only Marvel character up there for me um, because he's just he's different. And he does he embodies so much what was the defining characteristic of Marvel for such a long time, which is he is a person that people can identify with. Right. Like he deals with normal people things and then also thrusts himself into this situation because he feels like it's his responsibility to do so. Um I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, and we've talked about this before briefly, but I don't really super identify with Peter, even though I've read his story. Right. Um, and I love Peter Parker. I've always more, I, but this is also the power currently of Kamala Khan, right? Yes. Um, I actually identify with Kamala Khan far more than I identify with Peter Parker. Um, and uh, that's not just because we're girls. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it comes from, I think there's a lot of people who identify with the re- raised in a religious family that has different expectations of you than what your peers do. Uh, and, and how do you uh, make that work with uh, uh, wanting to do good and the things you want to do and the things that are expected of you at home. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Kamala is, I think, in a lot of ways, the Peter for a new generation. Um, and uh, I, I'm glad we have this great Spider-Man movie. Um, I, I hope it paves the way for to a Ms. Marvel movie eventually, and just like a younger tier of superheroes. Um, hopefully we'll get Captain Marvel first. We Something. are getting Captain Marvel. I, I just don't trust them to actually follow through at this point. Like, I just, I don't know. I I will believe it when I see it. Black Panther has a trailer. I trust Black Panther is going to happen, but that's still a male lead. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you know, uh, there are all kinds of issues with representation of both women and people of color. Black men have still gotten much better representation than women have um, in, in media in general. Yeah, so. I will die of shock when we get black female representation oh, yes. I it just it, it hurts my soul <laughs> what it takes to get you know I know it, it's like I that know. episode of Scrubs right where uh, um, I don't know much oh of Scrubs, there, there's so. an episode where um, Turk and Elliot are arguing about who has it worse black men or white women uh, and Turk is a black guy Elliot's a white woman and then uh, a, a black uh, female doctor walks by and they're both like well, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, it's, you know, it frustrates me because uh, short, short of Black Panther, there's not really any uh, female characters of color in Marvel yeah. movies. Um, uh, the only one is Gamora, who is green. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it, it's, it's, it's especially frustrating because it's like. So at least Spider-Man did that well, right? We have three right. female characters and two of them are characters of color. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's just that. Hey, maybe we won't get Miles. Maybe we'll get Spider Gwen, and she'll be a black girl. <laughs> well, that would be beautiful. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm only kind of joking. That would be. I would totally accept that. You know, make Gwen Stacy a black girl and oh, make her, MJ and make become her... Spider Man after Spider Man's death. MJ in this universe. I'm down for that too. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think this movie Uh, did great things for representing that New York is a diverse place. I know that's something a lot of New Yorkers complain about, like in Friends, that everyone in the show Friends is white. 
uh, yeah. and New York City is not. <laughs> uh, granted, I've only been to New York City once, so I can't really speak to New York City. But look, I live in Albuquerque. Okay, we we have a. I wouldn't say diverse. Diverse, in, you know, means that there's like lots of different colors and cultures. Uh, but we have a fifty-fifty. <laughs> kind of uh city so my city is if my city is more diverse than friends friends is doing something wrong right uh so yeah i i just um here's hoping for the future um i do you know i hate saying this because i wish we'd got better representation in this movie but i hope aunt may and mj are better served in the next movie um and I think that MJ or Aunt May knowing the secret and MJ potentially knowing the secret or having kn- known it already and them doing the reveal later in the movie for that to just get another person on board. Like, I think both of those set them up to be able to be central, strong characters rather than just on the periphery having to hide whatever their assets are. Right. You know, so we'll see. <sighs> huh. Here's hoping. Yeah, here is hoping. Um, I think it's a very promising start. That they could easily screw up and might, but they could also do great things with. So, uh, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. On that note, like any any final thoughts on this? Oh, oh, I do have final thoughts as well. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, I liked the movie. I don't know. I'll go off of your final thoughts. Tell me what your final thoughts. Well, so my because we already talked about. I mean, I love this movie. I really hope they do more with it. And we talked about some of the implications with MCU and what that might do in terms of a death in the universe and. Spider-Man, but I also think this really demonstrates an interesting thing about how the the Sony and the various deals that uh, Marvel made with Sony and Fox ahead of time, uh, and how like I, I think I'm pretty thankful that Spider-Man only got into the MCU now instead of earlier, uh, but at the same time like I'm glad he's in it now uh, because I think he's a really good uh, addition with the secret identity thing with the fact that he's significantly younger. It's a it adds more. It makes the world feel like more of a world, right? Uh, and I appreciate that a lot. I would love for the Fantastic Four to get taken from from Fox and brought back in. And please, no X-Men ever. Ever. Please. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Like, if they do it, I think that's when I'll stop watching all of the movies. Like, I will still watch some of them. But, like, I don't watch all the X-Men movies now because it's already gotten chaotic enough and weird enough. And I want to watch them, but it's just not that important. I will write off the entire MCU in terms of caring what the overall story is if the X-Men start joining in as well. Like, it just won't matter anymore. I would like Um, to say that I hope this movie shows potential um, that the X-Men could use, uh, which is that this is essentially a high school movie uh, in its feel. um, And I feel like X-Men needs that. Uh, Give me the high school boarding school movie. Give it to me. Yeah, the one we never got. Because X-Men 1, while it was especially better than you would have expected an X-Men movie to be at the time, it was not a high school boarding school movie, right? And like Apocalypse yeah. had, like, seeds of that in it. Uh, like, like, short little seeds, you know. But I could see them, and I'd be like, the rest of this movie can die. All I want is Cyclops and Jean... That scene where Cyclops, Jean Grey, and... Uh, um, Oh, Kurt. What's his... Nightcrawler. And, um... I still haven't seen Apocalypse. So, so there's this scene where Cyclops, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, and, um, the girl who makes the fireworks. Uh, was Jubilee in it? Jo- Jubilee, yes. Are, oh. like, in a open-top convertible driving and laughing as they come back from the mall. And I'm like, give me that movie. 
Just give me that. I don't need any of the rest of this. Give me that movie. Have a little bit of, you know, kind of your Harry Potter level, like investigations or bad guy who comes in, you know, but I just stop. Stop with the world ending villains, X-Men. Yeah. A a lighthearted high school X-Men movie would be great. Uh, It's like, and because they've done the opposite. I mean, Logan, have you seen Logan yet? Yes, I saw Logan and I loved it. Logan is great for what it is. Not all of X-Men needs to be that tone, <laughs> you know, like, let's give us the polar opposites with, with X-Men because right. you have the, that's one of the many reasons that you and I have talked about plenty of times with why I do not believe X-Men should be part of the greater Marvel universe, because there's so much already going on with the mutant thing that you just don't need, like, you negate a lot of it by including non-mutant superpowered people. Yeah, the mutant uh, thing in, just in doesn't work in a in a universe where there's Captain America, like, uh, or Spider-Man or, you know, and and it's like, and you have so much other volume in terms of people and the situations they're in and the life stories they have with the X-Men universe as a standalone universe that you can tell any story you want with them. You don't need the other characters for it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, you can have, you can establish your own brand new mutants who are the Captain America analog and like the, you know, the trusted hero that the people love and stuff like that. You can do that if you want, you know, you can make there be an irrational reason why people in this world love that person, but not all other mutants, because people will be like, well, he's not really like, he's not like other mutants. He's decided he's been like us and, right. you know, and helps us fight against when it's mutants, one or two yeah. characters. The problem is, right. how does any Joe Schmo citizen know that Spider-Man's not a mutant? And right, at exactly. least Ultimate Spider-Man deals with that, the comic, yes, it does. right? Like it, it actually addresses that and that people do kind of think he's a mutant. Um, um, but comics as it stands, they're just like, we have this irrational hatred of mutant, but you random superhero, you're fine. Even though we literally have no idea how you got your powers. Right. And I, and I would think that, you know, it's obvious that the analog has always been around, um, you know, especially, I, I, I want to say, especially around gay, uh, gay people is like what some of this kind of the stigma around mutants was supposed to represent. Right. Uh, or people who are the other, but I think a people lot of, of people color, who are gay. Uh, yeah. too. Yes, absolutely. And, and like, you absolutely see in, you know, in our history and in our present times where people like, you know, people who, whether they'll say it or not, are clearly not comfortable with or don't like gay people. But then, but they'll say like, they'll think nothing of it with like one or two particularly public figures who are gay because they're like, oh, well, you know, he's just him. Like, and they'll make exceptions that are... Right. So you have your irrational one-off exceptions. Everyone loves Neil Patrick Harris, right? Like... Uh, the difference is, is when you have, when, what, what the Marvel universe has done has says we have a large gay population. Half of them are caused to be gay by mutants and half of them are caused to be gay by being bitten by spiders. And we're okay with the ones who are bitten by spiders. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, what? that's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, how do you have a test? Does every superhero have to come forward and be like, this is my origin story, people. Yeah. You know, like, uh, why don't all the mutants just say they got bitten by radioactive spiders? I, I don't know. Right, exactly. And how would anybody find out that they, it's a stupid thing, which is why they should keep these worlds separate so that you can actually make that tension somewhat believable. And then when the one-off exceptions come up, it's because people do make weird one-off exceptions in real life rather than huge sweeping ones, yeah. you know? Anyway, we so, have gotten a little yeah. off topic from Spider-Man. <laughs> well, the whole thing to say, my, my send-off was, I would love to see more of the Marvel characters who are not related to the mutant universe come uh, get linked up because I think the Fantastic Four could be great uh, in as a, as a little side thing um, or like, you know, uh, 
I think they could be great in there. I think that you could do other things like that with whatever other characters they've never made a full movie on, but somehow have their rights tied up in, with other studios as well. Um, but please keep the X-Men separate. Do not take this as a lesson that all of them need to be brought under. Because also, a movie like Logan would not be made in the MCU. And I think there's value in that, too. Yep. So, cool. Uh, I don't have anything else. You want to talk us out? Sure. Uh, so, you can follow us on the interwebs. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Triv Crucial. Uh, you can follow me at Brown underscore Aja. That's A-J-A-H. And you can follow Michael at Auhim, A-U-H-I-M. Until next time, bye. Bye.